Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. So what about this? 24-year-old woman is seen in follow-up exam for asthma, diagnosed four months ago. She reports that her symptoms are now well-controlled without the use of her rescue inhaler and results of the asthma control test. All right, isn't it good we just did this? <laughs> uh, confirms well-controlled asthma, so she's probably at a very high number on the exam, on the, on the test. During the visit, she describes feeling down on many days with difficulty falling asleep and early morning awakening. So they do a depression screening with the patient health questionnaire called the PHQ-2, and it's positive. Uh, meds are beclomethasone, montelukast, and albuterol. On exam, vitals and pulmonary exam are really unremarkable. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment? So we have a positive depression score. We have an asthmatic doing well. Asthma control test is good. Um, should we do? Um, should we start cetraline, which is Zoloft for depression? Does this patient need teotropium and you know, that long-acting anticholinergic, I'd probably say no. Why? The patient's doing well. Why add more meds? Should we stop the beclomethasone and uh, start a combination with a LABA? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Number one, patient's doing well on his current asthma therapy. Should we stop the Montelukast? I mean, all right. I mean, why? Uh, should we add Zilutin, which is another... Um, leukotriene uh, type inhibitor. It's a synthesis inhibitor. And I don't know, I think I would be combining, you know, that with uh, Montelukast. I'm not going to say E. So I guess the ones that make sense would be, well, do we start an antidepressant, an SSRI, sertraline, or stop the Montelukast? And I really feel this one will be on the boards. The answer is stop the Montelukast. So up here, I put the PHQ2 screening uh, questionnaire. The good thing about it is there's only two questions, which is nice. And why did I put this here? It's because, you know, Montelukast uh, should be discontinued in patients with symptoms suggestive of depression. I put that in bolded red. So in March of 2020, the FDA added a box warning to Montelukast about behavior and mood-related changes, including suicide, and it was associated with Montelukast. So I thought it was very important, and I do put the bottom over here, hey, many in physicians, including myself, were unaware about Montelukast's potential adverse mental health effects. So I really feel this is going to be on your boards. And I wanted to put something about a leukotriene pathway. Um, so leukotrienes, you know, uh, definitely make more mucus in you. So you want to block them. They cause bronchoconstriction. You want to block them. You know, Zilutin goes by the brand name Zyflo. We really don't use that that much here in the U.S. It's a leukotriene synthesis inhibitor. Montelukast, brand name Singular, you know, 10 milligrams taken at night. It's a receptor antagonist, and that's the one that we commonly do use in the United States. But now we know to be careful with people with depression. So with that being said, let's talk about the 50-year-old man is referred for poorly controlled asthma. <clears throat> Triggers include exposure to dust, pet dander, and pollen. He has allergic rhinitis and has been treated with several courses of oral glucocorticoids, but 
After he stopped treatment, his symptoms, you know, recurred despite regular use of Lutixone Salmeterol, which brand name is Advair, and he's on a llama, which is Teotropian, brand name uh, Spiriva. His only med, other med, is Albuterol. His inhaler technique is good. It's always great to look at inhaler technique. On exam, vitals are normal. BMI is 24. Pulmonary exam reveals expiratory wheezes. Otherwise, the remainder of the exam is unremarkable. Labs reveal a total IgE level which is normal, and a CBC without differential, which is normal. They got chest x-ray, that was normal. Spirometry demonstrates moderate airflow obstruction that improves with bronchodilators. Which of the following is the most appropriate diagnostic test to perform next? So let's do this one. So getting it, oh, getting like a, a CBC with diff, you know, to check out if there's going to be eosinophilia. I like that. You know, I, what, what I see here, someone on triple inhaler therapy, ICS, lava, llama, still having symptoms. No, it sounds like he's having allergies, sounds like allergic asthma, you know, and he would be someone I would consider for biologics. And when I think about biologics, I think that getting, uh, see if he has an elevated absolute eosinophil count is a good answer. B, this is not sounding like alpha-1 antitrypsin. Me and for the boards, give me some liver problems. Give me some skin problems. Give me some emphysema, predominantly in the lower lobes. I don't think it's alpha-1. Uh, Aspergillus IgE. So we're thinking more of that ABPA type diagnosis, acute bronchopulmonary aspergillosis. I'm not feeling it in this particular case. Um, measurement of common allergen-specific IgE. No, that, that's not really, that's not a bad answer to do. You know what I mean? I would like to have, you know, uh, a total elevated IgE before doing that, you know, but um, with the total IgE being normal, I don't think it's going to be uh, helpful in using medications that block IgE if, you know, specific allergens are positive. It's not a bad answer. And the whole take-home message also with that is just because it's positive on the panel doesn't mean that's your allergen. Just because it's negative doesn't mean it's not your allergen. Um, and PNK, I think we're going to a vasculitidy. You know, the one that's associated with asthma would be, you know, things like a formerly known as Churg-Strauss, which goes by EGPA, eosinophilic granulomatosa polyangiitis. I don't feel this patient has any types of small vessel vasculitidy here. I think the simplest thing to do, especially given the normal total IgE, is to get what? Get that CBC with diff this time. I would pick what? A. That's great. So let's talk about some of these biologics. I really do want to spend some time with that. So when we talk about asthma, of course, we've got to go back to some basic immunology. And I know we only have an hour. I, I, I do have a clock. I see it. So when we talk about, you know, immunology, what are going to be some important cells for asthma? You know, of course, the mast cells releasing histamine and tryptase. Eosinophils really going to be one of the targets that we uh, want to single out is the all the inflammation, the airways predominantly in asthmatics are caused by eosinophils. You know, macrophages are antigen-presenting cells. They present the antigen to our immune system. And of course, when we talk about the lymphocytes, we think about the T lymphocytes and the B lymphocytes. B lymphocytes turn into plasma cells that make antibodies. Of course, we're focusing on IgE. And T lymphocytes, of course, we're focusing on what? The CD4 cells, the T helper cells, and there are different pathways. But the T helper cell 2 pathway is very important in allergic asthma. So this is just saying there are two types of 
ways to cons two types or two parts. I think parts is a better word than types of our immune system, the innate and the adaptive. So the innate are things in contact with the environment. Many of us think of skin and GI tract, but remember our lungs, our alveoli are in contact with the environment. Those macrophages in our alveoli are in contact with the environment. And the adaptive, of course, when we talk about, you know, more of those lymphocytes. And of course, we talk about T cells and B cells. We talked about those. And of course, there's such an overlap between the innate and adaptive immune system. So, one of the terminologies we like when we talk about asthma, especially allergic asthma, we talk about the TH2 pathway. So I just wanted to mention that TH2 is T helper cell 2 pathways. It's associated with three main interleukins, which is IL-5, IL-4, and IL-13. And of course, we have medications that are going to interact with these and block these. Uh, and, you know, in the non-allergic pathway, you think of things like maybe the TH1 pathway. And... Another like a uh, little important thing I put down there is since we're talking about, you know, our immune system, we talk about T cells and B cells, you know, I always want to give a throwback to my medical students that both T and B cells originate in the bone marrow, but only B cells mature in the bone marrow and T cells migrate to the thymus. So think B for bone marrow and T for thymus. I hope some medical student just loves that and scores high on the USMLE step one. <laughs> so... This is going to be um, when we try to integrate the TH2 pathway in allergic asthma with some of the biologics out there. So when we use biologics, everyone, I could say it a thousand times, but when do we use it for allergic, allergic, allergic asthma? Though one new biologic got approved for both allergic and non-allergic, but essentially for allergic asthma, refractory to traditional medical therapy. And yeah, they probably failed things like a LABA ICS or probably a LABA ICS LAMA. Then you consider using one of these biologics. And of course, there are some very fine points about when you use very specific biologics for certain diseases. So when we talk about IgE, which is going to be the antibody made from our wonderful plasma cells, that we have a drug called omalizumab that blocks that. We have a lot of IL-5 blockers over here, though the ones that we usually use are the top two, mepolizumab, which goes by the brand name Nucala, and benarilizumab goes by the brand name Fisarna. Then we have an IL-413 blocker combined, and that goes by the brand name Dupixin. Generic name is Dupilumab. Man, I'm getting all mabbed out with all these <laughs> different biologics. And of course, IL-4 and 13 will directly affect the airway, but all of them, 4, 5, and 13, all affect what? The eosinophil, which causes all the um, inflammation in the airways of our allergic asthmatics. So I thought this was nice, you know what I mean? So this is the biologics for obstructive lung disease. Someone's like, old? What do you mean old? Obstructive lung disease. <laughs> so of course we're focusing only on asthma now, but what do we have? We have our Ig blocker, omalizumab, IL-5 blockers. We mentioned a big three out there. We'll have one more slide about it. IL-413, which is Dupixin. And the newest one on the block is gonna be blocking thymic stromal lipoprotein, TSLP, which got approved for both allergic and non-allergic asthma. So let me just show a couple more slides before we switch gears and start talking about COPD. I know that half an hour went by pretty quick. So here is Zolaire, probably the one of the first biologics for asthma that came out there. Think about it for people with moderate to severe allergic asthma, refractory traditional medical therapy. And of course, 
um, they've got to have an elevated IgE level. You dose the uh, omalizumab based upon weight and IgE level, you based on both. You know, we definitely use omalizumab in pediatric patients. It got approval for people six years of age and older. I think many of us, you know, kind of remember you need to carry that EpiPen. And the big thing about this is that when you get the first two shots, you do it in the healthcare setting. And if you tolerate the medication and there's no problems or side effects, you can start injecting at home because this was such a big limiting thing on this med was having to always inject it in the healthcare setting. So think about omalizumab. Now, if you don't have an elevated IgE and you have moderate to severe persistent allergic asthma and you have elevated eosinophils like we did in that question, you could consider using an IL-5 blocker. And so I put all the brand names there, Nucala, Facerna, and Syncare. The one we pretty much don't use is Syncare, goes by the generic name Rezolizumab because it's given through the IV. It's just not convenient. But if you fail one interleukin-5 inhibitor, it doesn't mean you failed the whole class. You could, if you fail brand name Nucala, then try brand name Facerna. So you could you know, kind of go between the class itself. And here is going to be our friend Mepolizumab. What a surprise. Inhibits IL-5 that directly affects eosinophils that will help out with inflammation. All Mepolizumab and the next one, which is going to be Benarolizumab, both could be ejected at home, which is huge. And here's Benarolizumab, the Serna. Of all the biologics I just mentioned, which includes uh, Nucala, Zolaire, and Dupixin, it really has the least amount of doses that you have to inject per year, which is eight injections, which is pretty nice. And as I just mentioned, you could do this at home. Syncair is an IV infusion, which kind of makes it very unpractical. You know, you must really want to give an IL-5 inhibitor and they failed the other two to want to give someone Rezolizumab. Dupixent, I mean, we both know, <laughs> all of us know they have great commercials. Uh, Dupixent is, when I for moderate to severe allergic asthma, refractory traditional medical therapy, probably not with an elevated IgE. You can use this, you have elevated eosinophils, but it also got FDA approval if you're really stuck on steroids, you know what I mean? And all these medications are good as steroid sparing agents, but it so happened to get an approval for it if you're on steroids to reduce the steroids. And it also is used for ectopic dermatitis. If you're taking your GI board to got FDA approval for eosinophilic esophagitis, and yeah, you self-injected every two weeks. Probably one, one of the first ones out there with home injections, which was great. And it's an IL-4-13 inhibitor. And the last one I wanted to mention is Tezipelumab. And um, this is going to be a medication. I believe the brand name is Tespire, but don't quote me on that. It's first in class. It binds to thymic stromal lipoprotein, which is a really, really upstream regulator. See how it's really upstream over here? And what's going to be downstream to this? You know, inhibiting things like IL-5, IL-413, blocking IgE. And because it's so high up there, it got FDA approval for both allergic and non-allergic asthma. So, I mean, there is, a, and why is this important? There is a procedure called bronchal thermoplasty. It's been around for more than 10 years, very barbaric. And, you know, when do we use this procedure is kind of when you have the intrinsic, non-allergic, non-atopic asthma, you know, because there's no biologics for it. But now that this drug is out there and it got the FDA approval for non-allergic asthma, I really don't even know what the role for, you know, the procedure bronchal thermoplasty would be. You really must have to fail everything to even do that procedure. So this was kind of nice to have this medication out there.
Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.